Hi guys, and welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. I'm your host, Joe Worthington, and today I'm joined by Adam Childs and James Tomlinson. Now, once we get into the episode, I will give a bigger intro into who these two fellas are, but all you need to know for now is that both Adam and James are very close friends of mine, and amongst other things that we do together, we all share a huge passion for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So today we're talking about not being able to do the thing you love, and we are looking at that idea through our lens of BJJ. This is a timely chat for anyone who is experiencing lockdown or movement restrictions due to COVID. BJJ may not be your thing, but chances are for most of the people listening out there, there's going to be something that's missing in your life right now that does form a significant part of your identity and really just what you like to do with your time. We discuss what it's like to have that thing taken away from you, how it affects or has affected our mental and physical health, and some of the ways that we've been dealing with it. There is, of course, plenty of BJJ-centric banter in this chat, and there is some classic backstory from JT and Adam's time living and training together in Brazil. Now, before we get into it, I've got a couple of high-quality plugs. On the training side of things, if you need any help with what you're doing, please get in touch. Here at Jungle Brothers, we have online classes running daily, as well as an online program for anyone who doesn't really vibe with the Zoom classes. You can get more information about that at junglebrothers.com. You can also reach us through our Instagram, which is at Jungle Brothers Movement. Big love to our show sponsor, Panavore Cafe in Pagewood. We're drinking their coffee today and it's delicious as always. Now, let's get into the episode. I really enjoyed this chat with the guys. Both of them have a pretty epic sense of humor. I think it comes through strong in this one. Uh, I've been missing... Adam, I don't get to see him as often. He is my jiu-jitsu coach. And so it was really nice to be able to connect with him. And I met him originally through JT. So to get the three of us together was quite special. Please enjoy this chat about not being able to do the thing you love through the lens of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Hey guys, welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. I'm your host, Joey, and today we've got JT joining us and Adam Childs. Welcome, gents. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us on. Always a pleasure to be on the Jungle Brothers podcast. What is up? Yeah, thanks, guys. It's awesome to be back. We're loving on this podcast remotely. First remote podcast I've ever done. So far, so good. Background looks good. You look all right. You might not be wearing pants, but we've said that's fine. (laughs) Acceptable. (laughs) It's acceptable. I'll give you a little background on the fellas here. Adam has been on the podcast a couple of times, as has JT. Um, it, really interesting episodes. Go back and listen to them. Everything from self-development through to the nitty-gritty of jiu-jitsu. Um, Adam is the head of Alliance Jiu-Jitsu in Sydney, which is the premier jiu-jitsu academy in Rose Bay. Uh, he's a jiu-jitsu black belt, and he's my jiu-jitsu coach. JT is the head coach, uh, the head jiu-jitsu coach here at Jungle Brothers. Indeed. He's the co-founder of Bulletproof for BJJ, the most prestigious online program for jiu-jitsu athletes. <laughs> Uh, also a jiu-jitsu black belt and my arch nemesis <laughs> I think when he says arch nemesis he just means he's better but that's fine <laughs> that's fine you frame it how you want uh, for people who don't know personally know joey and jt they have a a lovely friendly doppelganger rivalry and uh, i remember when i well i know joey through jt right like jt introduced me to joey 
And it was on the first, like at the end of that sort of first hanging out together at that, at the time, James still lived in Melbourne, not, not up in Sydney. And I remember he was like, I know, I know exactly how this is going to go down. He's like, you two are going to start hanging out. You're going to become best buds and you're just going to cut me out. (laughs) (laughs) And then Joey started training at my gym and I would, and I started doing all my strength and conditioning (laughs) and all my bulletproof work with Joey. Cause well, for those who don't know, James, James and I used to live together in Brazil, which is where we actually first met. But JT has been my strength and conditioning coach for, well, for my first and only really like the whole time I was in Brazil was my first and best strength and conditioning coach. But um, when I was back in Australia, he said, oh, I can't train you because I'm in Melbourne. So go to Joey. And then, so that's how I, I I met Joey and we started doing Bulletproof together. Joey started training jujitsu at my gym. And um, this is the first time we've seen JT since. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's nothing like being the third wheel. No, you know, you know how it is when you get a couple together. It's a beautiful thing. You can can be proud of what you've created. (laughs) You have to sacrifice something of your own. But that's for them to create something beautiful. For their beauty. It's all right. It's, it's happiness all around and. Here we are. The band's back together, kids. <laughs> yeah, here we are. It is, but it's been a yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's been a bit of a a bummer that the three of us don't get to hang out as much as we would have thought. You know, when you first moved up, you first moved up from Sydney, and obviously, that it's always hard moving cities. It's super hard. So obviously, there's a lot of time that for you that needed to be spent in just moving cities. And then as soon as things it felt like as soon as things started to settle down, um, you know, at least here in Sydney, it's just this most hectic, well, far more hectic lockdown than last year. Yeah. And now we don't get to see each other at all. You got here at the, you came up here after Melbourne went through like that whole thing last year, right? Yeah, that's right. So we, uh, my partner and I uh, made a decision. It was kind of uh, later in the year last year, uh, coming off Melbourne lockdown, which is kind of, you know, whatever eight, nine months, a bit more, um, that it was time to get back closer to home, closer to family up here in Sydney. And um, obviously, yeah, it was one of those things where I said, let's move up. So kind of mid-December, just before Christmas, we moved back up to Sydney. And I guess the really you know positive side of that is we've been able to work together more, which has been great. Um, and then also been able to do a bit of training with uh with adam at alliance which has been really cool when we can when we can get it together but yeah definitely that transition of trying to get re-established because i was 16 years in melbourne it, yeah it took a little bit of time to work out but i think the i guess the the cool thing is now we've got this collective sphere of reference but this is stuff that people who are listening maybe are not privy to so um yeah i'm Let's let's maybe let's wind it back a fraction so people can get a little bit of context on this, because Adam, so you, you've been you've been on the podcast before, um, and when I went to Brazil, I was yeah. like, I'm definitely going to be the only Australian. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is which is all you want to feel when you're yeah. overseas. You're, the, I want to be the, the first one they've ever met. I'm going to be the Aussie, you know, like. <laughs> No, no, I'm not doing a shoey at training, but you know, like just <laughs> show up and have an impact. They're like, yeah, that's the Aussie guy. And then they always like make really strange comments about surfing to you. And I'm like, I don't even surf. Yeah, <laughs> Am yeah. I even an Australian? <laughs> what, what is my identity? But then I showed up and someone said, oh, 
I think, yeah, it was Blue Belt. It was maybe 2012 or 2011. I can't remember the first yeah, time. I moved, I moved there 2011 and I, yeah, I think, yeah, so it probably was 2012. Yeah. I, and I was like, yeah, I'm the Australian Blue Belt. And they're like, nah, there's another Australian Blue Belt. I was like, get <laughs> the fuck. Nah. What are you talking about? It's so funny because it was the exact opposite for me because I was, at the time that I moved over, there was only myself and this other guy who trained a lot with, with both JT and I called Ali, who is now also a, a, a black belt. He runs his own Alliance gym in Bahrain. Uh, and at the time, Ali and I were the only foreigners who full-time lived in Australia, uh, in, in Brazil training, but plenty of foreigners had come and go but we were the only full-time ones living there. And after I'd sort of gotten to know a few people, I was like, I had the same thought. I was like, yeah, I'm like the only Australian, blah, blah, blah. And, and then I was speaking to these two brothers, Fabio and Ricardo Caloy. And one of them said, no, nah, there's, there's this guy, James, you know, he's, he's been here before he came and visited before and he's coming back whatever it was, he's coming back, you know, next year or something. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, no, he's pretty good. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man, no way. You know, I'm the Australian. I'm going to be the Australian here. <laughs> so territorial. It was, it was quite funny. So like, I guess we both kind of knew that story, but I can't even remember. Like I, you no, know, the first, the first time we trained, was it, was, like? it was, it was a lunch class. Like Adam's told was us it? before. Yeah. As in the well, omop- been, yeah. It was the omoplata drill. Was that the first time we trained? That sounds about right. Well, it's quite, it probably wasn't the first time we trained because like, we probably met each other in a previous class. But it was the first time where we went, hey, yeah, you and me will go together. Yeah, because yeah. Of, like, all the classes in Portuguese. Right? And, and like, so you should mention the lunch classes are, are the strict competitor hard. classes. You know, So they're the classes where, uh, you know, Every, everyone is, they're not willing to concede an advantage. You know, people are pretty much rolling like it's competition. To the death, yeah. But so I, from what little I knew of Adam, I'm like, yeah, he seems like a laid back guy. He'll be cool. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, like he's not just going to slap on a submission the first time I do a drill with him. Uh, <laughs> doing a drill, oh, like a like a live drill. Well, sort of like it was like uh, I think it was it was just it was an omoplata escape. This is this is my memory of it. And Adam, uh, I I've heard Adam tell it once before, but we'll see. And he, I I was just resisting, and he just threw a triangle at me. He just he just triangled me like real quick, and I was like, what? I was like, bro, I'm gonna, excuse me. Okay, cool, bro. Let's do that again. Take two. So then my coach had showed me um, when I was a blue belt. I think, I, was that purple this day? I can't, I, no, I was still a blue belt. It might have been purple, I think. I can't remember, but it's essentially, Adam, I started an omoplata. You got tapped by a blue belt? You were purple belt? <laughs> I mean, it's no shame in that, but no, just no, to get, I think we were the, the same belt. Okay. I believe, whatever it was, we were a parody of belts. So. Right. <laughs> James, James is like Joey you're, you're breaking up there what'd you say <laughs> Joey's like dude we're in the same room <laughs> these remote podcasts what can I say so I'm in an omoplata and, and, and I could feel like Adam's like yeah I got this guy this guy's a chump so as we were like okay shake hands good to go alright I grabbed his belt and I just picked him up off the ground <laughs> I just straight dead lifted him up off the ground pulled him up by the belt pulled my arm out and just threw his legs to the side and just jumped on him. I was like, 
Yeah, and that's like, what just happened, right? That, that was pretty much my memory of it too. The, I, I, I remember I rubbed it in a little harder. Like there was, there was pretty much exactly how it played out. Like I switched straight to the triangle and yeah, it was a drill, right? You started in the, in the platter and um, yeah, I switched to the triangle. And I remember saying to you, I was like, like taking candy from a baby. And you were just like, ah, oh, hell no. And then I just, yeah, I just remember you. I don't even remember you grabbing my belt. From my point of view, you just straight up like one arm deadlifted me and just shook me off and were just like, we had this look on your face like, you suck. <laughs> but, 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 you know, with all that said, there was like, there was zero animosity in it, you know? No, it was, there was always, it was always hard rolls. Yeah. You know, there's always a little know, bit of animosity. Just, for this, the whole time that this James is the standard. There, it set the tone for, for the for the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah, and like, I mean, we used to drill together every day, roll together every day. And this was, I think, it was the first trip you didn't live with me. It was the second trip, right? The first trip, um, you yeah. did three in total, right? The first one, I wasn't there. And then I, you I, did. I did, I did three to Sao Paulo, but I'd been to Rio prior to that. Right. Like, yeah, so the your first trip to Sao Paulo, I wasn't there. The second one, you know, was when we... I was living. I was living. I was living with Fabinho at that time. Yeah, and then the third trip was when you you stayed with me, and I think maybe that was the that was probably when we did the most training together for sure. Yeah, for sure, and uh, yeah, I think it was just that thing of uh, we're both getting beat up by everyone else, and that's really kind of pushed into you that this is how you do things, and then also you don't want to look. Uh, weak or terrible in front of Fabio or anyone else. And so the expectation is that you fight to the death. Um, you know, like for the, some of the hardest training I've ever seen is first points training. Now, for people out there who have no idea about jiu-jitsu, essentially you can get awarded half points, which are advantages for like attempting or trying to get an, a, a better position or trying to get a technique on someone. To get points, you have to take someone down and hold them down or you have to sweep them and, and consolidate or take their back or like get to a better position than you were in prior. Now, if you have two people working their butts off, it's sometimes really hard to do that. And Ooh. I do remember one training, which was just groups of four. I believe it's groups of four and one person stays in kind of like a shark tank and they have to keep going and it's first points. And, and, and at the end of the training... Fabio, the, 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 the master, the, the, big, the big dog boss of um, Alliance, would say, but who, who won that? Like, who got first points? And it was kind of like a, you had to. Like a ledger. Yeah, yeah. kind of like, well, who got, well, if you were the person who got sc scored on every time, I was like, what's wrong with you? Well, then oh, your standings just dropped. And I remember there was this one time where I think it was like Adam, myself, Hikado Kaloi, like Hikajino, and... Who was the tall guy who you always used to go to war with? Not Huffa. Huffa, yeah. Yeah. And there was a first points war between Adam and I think it was Hikajinho. Right. And it, it went forever. The whole class stopped. Well, like, actually, I think I know the story you might be referring to, JT. Um, yeah, it was that, but no, it was this different guy. If it's, I know the story you're talking about. Yeah, it was this. Yeah, first points one. And there was this guy, his name was Vitor or Victor or something like that. Okay. And I was a purple belt at the time and he was a brown belt. Right, okay. And 
it was like my size. And, you know, for people who haven't met me personally, I'm about six, four. So he was my height, but he was more muscular, probably had like 10 kilos on me. Can't even picture that. Was, <laughs> How's it possible? Sorry? More muscular. Yeah. It doesn't take much. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my little chicken legs. Yeah. Um, and I was half guard on the bottom. And so he kept, he was trying to pass and class had finished, right? Class had finished. And Fabio was like, uh, all right, guys, like keep going until those last points are scored. And then, then we're finished. And me and Victor were just still going. I couldn't sweep him and he couldn't pass. He couldn't pass and Fab- and then however long pass, I don't know, like 15 minutes. Went post- and then Fabio's like, come on guys. And everyone's watching. And I remember I came up from half guard onto like a single leg and I'm chasing him and everyone's like, start screaming. Come like on. it was a competition. They're like, come on Adam. <laughs> and like, I dump him down, but you know, he starts getting back up so I can't consolidate. And I'm like throwing him around and you know, and I ended up getting it and okay. everyone cheered. And for me, I was, man, it felt like I just won the world. So it was, like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> was awesome. It was one of my most favorite sweeps ever. But it, what's funny about that is that was not a that was a regular occurrence that you have these fights to the death, and it creates such intense memories. Um, however, blurred. <laughs> but but that, the, that, gist, the gist is usually yeah, spot on. You're there. <laughs> so, in terms of how Adam and I know each other, we you know, it was you know a lot of our our friendship really forged in some pretty intense moments, uh, either killing each other or trying to survive am- amongst the killers. Uh, and yeah, I had always said to Adam, definitely when you get back to Sydney, make sure you link up with Joe. And what's kind of, I think what's cool about that, and I might, I might segue to this for you, Joe, that um, that kind of brought you back into the fray because you were, you were maybe, you are a little bit wayward at that time from the jiu-jitsu world. Not training so much prior to that, right, Joey? Yeah, a hundred percent. I was, um, yeah, I was really kind of, yeah, I was in a bit of a period. I had come back to do some training, but I was more or less not really that into jujitsu at the time. Um, I think there was, yeah, like, yeah, to give folks a backstory there. It's funny when you guys hooked up in Brazil, like, would you say 2011? 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. The first time we met, I think. Yeah. So that was like around when we opened our gym. Mm. so when we when we started the gym i took uh maybe i continued for a while for maybe a year but then i took a couple of years off jiu-jitsu and just doubled down on my my, my movement training and stuff and then i got back into jiu-jitsu after a couple of years i'm like oh, i'm gonna get back into it and i went to a gym nearby and you know it was cool it was fine got some hard rolls went to the you know used to go to the advanced class and just we just go to war with each other a couple of times a week but um didn't really get much out of the the experience in terms of progressing and i remember i did that for about a year and a half and then uh we moved our gym to the location we're currently in and so you know it's all hands on deck right we're like building a new gym so i didn't go to class for i think it was i thought it would be a couple of months while we got on our feet it ended up being like four or five months but what I realized in that time is like not one person from the gym reached out to me. Um, and I was like, and I did, I wasn't, you know, I didn't need that. No. I wasn't looking, but it was just, it just became aware to me. I'm like, oh, I'm not even really part of the thing there because no one's touching base with me. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to scrap it. Like I'm going to cancel my membership there. And so I, I canned the membership there and then I was just kind of in limbo. And then that was when you introduced me to ads and then ads like, man, I'm going to be opening up a spot here in Sydney. And I was like, dude, I'll come train. 
Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, it was sick. It was I mean quite quite fortunate timing I guess for me as well because it's, you know, been awesome to to have you there to and I always when I talk about your improvement since you started training with me, you've heard this lots of times Joey, but the way I best describe it is Slug. that I regret everything <laughs> I teach Joey. Cause it just, it just severely <laughs> comes back to smash me. Like when I first rolled with you, Joey, like the thing, I don't know if you remember it this way, but the thing that, that stuck out was um, like, oh, I don't want to sound like, I don't want to sound harsh, but like Please, the, the, change is, <laughs> yeah, the change is so massive. But the thing that stuck out was just how, how, poor your X guard was. It was like the position you were wanting to do, but it was just so bad. And then now, I mean, it's the position I fight tooth and nail to avoid ending up in when I roll with you now. It's like, it's like if you get me in your X guard, I'm pretty much like, Oh, the chance of me getting swept or foot locked or is pretty high here, you know? So it's just, you're not even comparable to, for me to where you were when, when we first rolled and you know, I the competitor in me really regrets that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the instructor and more importantly the friend in me is is super stoked to see to see how how much better you've gotten because obviously you're doing what you do for a prof- profession. You're you're very strong and mobile, but you know that's not enough, right? And then man, you now you add on the fact that you're strong, mobile, and no jujitsu. Like you guys posted a, a a thing on Instagram the other day on Bulletproof for wrist mobility. And, you know, that's obviously mobility is super important in jiu-jitsu anyway, but you also do with your, your fight, lift, move work at Jungle Brothers, you do stuff like handstands and things like that that are super, you know, you've got to have good wrist mobility for that. Um, and... Man, I think I commented something like, yeah, nah, this, these work because I know you can't wrist lock Joey. And I've tried to wrist lock you, bro. <laughs> There's been t- like I've tried really hard. There's been times where I've really had your arm isolated and I've been trying to wrist lock you. I'm like, what's th- It's just no. You're like, you can do those. You're like one of those people who can do push-ups on the backs of their hands, which, you know? Which he, he can't. Which he yeah. does. That's his flex. When people are struggling, a couple with, things. It's one of them. <laughs> when people struggle with wrist mobility and they're like, "Ah, eh, can't even." Joe's like, "What? You can't?" I'm like, like "Hey, let's do some push-ups." Bam! And just stuck his mouth in the mouth, just to mess with people. It's a it's a great play. I like it. But no, I, I mean, yeah, that's and that's thanks for the you know I appreciate the compliment and you have told me that many times and I you know and obviously I um I I'm aware of that too you know I I think. There was that period of many years there, and this is perhaps interesting for anyone that's who's listening that does train BJJ. I went through that period of really not getting any better and probably getting worse for many years. You know, I look at how I how I perceived my jiu-jitsu, my actual technicality as a blue and a, and a purple belt, and that was probably the peak of my. You know, I think for a lot of us, it, it, it you know I was I was fucking really good and training all the time, and then when I got my brown belt, it just was this period of like not a lot and then kind of almost resting on my laurels and my athleticism sure. and so to the point where i met you was like things were just yeah my jiu-jitsu was shitty um, yeah but it has been it, you know and that and, and part of getting back into the sport has been having meeting someone like you and training at a place like alliance and, and even here at jungle brothers 
with JT too. Um, finding a place and the people that I can enjoy it with again and having a coach that's interested in making me better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big thing, right? Like if, you're, if your coach isn't really interested in your development, you know, like it's – it could talk so much about good gyms, bad gyms, good coaches, bad coaches. But, you know, it is – if you do look at it from a business point of view, like it is a – the coach is providing a service, right, for a fee, usually, you know, uh, and it's just backwards that people, so students have so much commitment to their gyms and their teams. Like they feel like they owe their coach something and all this stuff. And, you know, you could go down the rabbit hole about why people don't change teams or whatever. But, you know, for me, it's the exact opposite. Like the obligation is on the coach to the coach owes the student something because you usually pay your gym membership in advance. Right. So if anything, the coach owes you, you don't know the coach shit. Like I don't want to, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that friendships uh, can be like lifelong friendships can be built in the gym. It is a very jujitsu is a very community family sport, but I mean, if you do strip it away, the obligation is on the coach, the instructor to give something to the student, not the other way around. And people just have this backwards way of thinking about it, that it's the other way around. And that's why people stay in gyms that they hate, you know, where did you, where did you form that opinion? Cause I, I, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that in the, in the gym realm, like, you know, like a fitness gym, strength gyms, this is very well understood. It's like people are paying you often what's considered a premium amount of money to come and um, patronize your business. And um, how much, you know, of a human aspect you choose to bring to that is entirely up to you, but it is at its most basic form. It's a transaction, right? Yeah. I give you money, you give me this service. Whereas I think, you know, like you said, um, jujitsu is at a place. It's probably very much part of the timeline, but it's, it's, it, you would say most of the operators, at least here in Australia, since its inception, ha- wouldn't share the opinion of, of you. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say that, or at least they might say that, but they wouldn't actually act like that. Where did you come up with that? Um, I mean, I think part of it is, I don't know, it's hard to say if I just kind of, for me, feel like it's common sense. That's probably not the case, realistically. I think it's a combination of just years of, having Fabio's opinions and the way Fabio teachers rub off on me, you know, that's where I spent my, uh, my time as a student. I mean, I'm still a student, you're a student of jujitsu forever, but you know, you know what I mean? As a colored belt, that's where I spent my time. And I also previously worked for man, how many years? I don't know, maybe like eight years or something. I worked as an international manager for, for the Alliance association. So I got to work with Fabio a lot and talk with him a lot about, you know, the way things should and shouldn't be done, even if it was work related or not just in spending so much time with him. And, you know, it just, it just comes down to the, the most, the instructors who don't usually think like that, right. Are the ones who are typically more insecure about what they do. Right. And they, and they control their students with 
essentially with fear, kind of like imagine if you were someone who had a restaurant, right? And you, here we go. Analogy, Adam, you knew it was coming, bro. You knew it was coming. <laughs> it's taking us 40 minutes to get here. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you, you guys had a wager at what minute the first one was going to come. <laughs> Mate, I already um, lost. <laughs> yeah. uh, like imagine if you had a restaurant and, you're, and you knew that your food wasn't really that good. You kind of wouldn't want your students, customers to go eat anywhere else because they would then realize that there's better options out there, you know, but if you do it correctly, like one of the things Fabio said to me is, is that if he loses a student, I mean, yeah, he might be a little upset, but he thinks about two things. The first thing he asks himself is he goes, what did I do wrong or what could I have done better to not lose that student? And then the second, and then if he, if he comes to the conclusion that it was nothing, he then doesn't get upset about it because you can't be everyone's favorite coach, right? Like I'll give you an example when Levi, you know, one of the biggest names out of Australia, when he first started training overseas, the first gym he actually went to was Corinna's uh, in LA. But for him, it just wasn't, he didn't really enjoy the way Corinna taught. And, you know, he ended up at unity in New York. That doesn't mean Cabrini is a bad teacher. He just, just for him, wasn't the way he taught, you know? So yeah, if I have, if I have an Italian restaurant and I know my food's good, but you know, that person doesn't like Italian food, well then I can hardly get pissed off at them for not eating at my restaurant. Yeah. That's that's a great point. And there's, I mean, there's factors outside of the, there, you know, there's logistical factors. People move cities, they get a new job, they, their schedule changes, right. Which all affect their ability to come and train at your gym, of course. Of course, yeah. You take it aside yeah, to I mean, the group like right the, now. But you know, back back in the day, I've I've mentioned this heaps of times. But the whole the Brazilian word "crionchi," which is uh, a jiu jitsu specific slang word, it doesn't even exist in the in the Portuguese language. If you ask a Brazilian who doesn't train jiu jitsu what it is, they wouldn't know. But it's a the rough translation would be a trader. You know, someone who goes and trains at a different gym. Back in the day, like, I mean, back in the day when, you know, when Fabio was, you know, in his 20s or whatever, he said that that culture was so strong. And I mean, it still exists today, but he said it was so strong back then that if you, if you were relocated to the other side of the country for work, you know, your job sent you to the other side of the country, your coach would be like, oh, well, like, that's it for you then you can't, you're not allowed to train over there. Like it's here or nowhere. Like, you know, like yeah. you you essentially have to quit jujitsu and that's how he said it was like, that's and how people, strong. And people adhered to it. People did it. I, well, yeah, I guess for sure. Some would have, some wouldn't have, but you know, and you do still see a bit of that culture, but for anyone who trains at my gym, like that, <laughs> I don't want this, this is going to sound a little bit up myself. Like I really, not a fan of sort of trying to talk myself up, if you will, but I encourage my students to go visit other gyms. And because for me, it's just going to solidify that student even more to train with me. And I don't want that to sound that, Oh God, I think I'm top, you know, I'm the top dog. I'm the best, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just really confident in my abilities and instructor and the service that I provide to my students that if they, if they go to that 
different restaurant, they're going to be like, oh my God, this food isn't even edible. And they'll be back. They'll come back to my gym, you know, and the ones who don't, okay. Like, I mean, people who know me personally, I'm a pretty nice and friendly guy, but it'd be ignorant of me to think that everyone likes me and every student is going to like my style of teaching. But, um, you know, man, my students can go visit and train wherever they want. You know, Um, it's going to make them stronger. Can you guys just give, um, I want to move into a a more universal uh, question in a sec, but can you just give us a little background as to who Fabio is? For listeners who don't, who are not familiar with the scene, well, I I'll let, I, um, I'll let JT take this one because I've been yapping on. Well, no, it's just one of those things that, like, uh, I guess what a lot of people don't appreciate is like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is actually pretty young as far as martial arts go, and Fabio's been in the mix since not inception, but since very early on. And I, you know, I've been very fortunate that I've had time to sit with Fabio and talk with him. Um, I got to do a couple of private lessons with him. And then also there was a couple of times when he would show up early to do his training. And then, um, and then maybe his training partners wouldn't come. So then he'd just be there on Twitter or whatever yeah. on his phone. You know, um, there was a time when he was preparing for a super fight at the ADCC. And, uh, he, you know, a couple of the senior guys are meant to come and roll with him. And then sometimes they wouldn't or whatever would happen. And so yeah. then I'd get a chance to talk with him. And he would tell me about what jiu-jitsu was like in the 80s. And what you know, all this experience. And the thing about Fabio is he was saying like how unprofessional it was and then how it became more professional and dude started lifting weights and all these things. And he was the world first heavyweight champion in 1996, if I'm right. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong in, in any of this. No, no, you're good, bro. I don't, yeah. Is it not? Yeah. I, 90, was, I, I hope you're wanting me to fact check if it was 96 because I don't know that, but it was probably 96. I think it was 96 or 95. Jiu-Jitsu world champion. The first world heavyweight champion. Wow. And he lost the final for the absolute to Zay Mario, who's another great, Mario Sperry. Yeah. Who was another great kind of tough jiu-jitsu guy at that time. But what a lot of people don't probably appreciate about Fabio is he's a four-time... I'm world champion. World champion. And also, um, his legend grows out of a very legendary fight he had with um, Mark the Smashing Machine. Ah, Mark Kerr. Mark Kerr. So if any of you have ever seen that documentary, Fabio fights him in a bare-knuckle kind of or no rules Is that fight. him in that first fight? Yeah. That's Fabio? And Fabio won't quit. Like, Isn't that another dude? I, I, I'm not sure. You can find the footage. I mean, it's like eye gouging him and shit. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he gets really cut up and, and Fabio doesn't want to throw the towel in. He wants to keep fighting, but the corner's like, nah, man. He's like, no, I don't want to quit. And after that, he got this moniker of the general as just like one of the hardest guys of all time. And he is. But the other thing is too, Fabio has bred uh, some of the greatest champions in the history of jiu-jitsu. And so if we think about like, Damien Meyer is one of his black belts, right? Yeah. And also Leo Vieira, who is one of the founding fathers of Checkmatch. And there is so many guys who ca- came out of Fabio's gym. I think he's the most accomplished jiu-jitsu yeah, coach. He's, by, he's, he's by far the most decorated. Like he's he's done it all. Like, like JT said, he's got four world titles. He's created more world champions than any other instructor. And then him as one of the founders of Alliance and essentially the head of Alliance has taken Alliance to more world titles than any other team, which um, is 12 12. 12 world titles. I think the second most successful team has five or maybe six world titles. So, you know, has taken it 
way above and beyond any other team, you know? So yeah. And like, and like JT said, he's coached people like Damian Meyer, Marcelo Garcia, Cobrinha, Lucas Lepre. Like he's just, he's an, an insanely good coach. He's kind of the, if you're, if you're anyone listening, if you're a striker and you're into boxing, Fabio would kind of be like the Freddie Roach of the jiu-jitsu world, you know? I, I would say he's even beyond that. Even better. Even better <laughs> because he's still a very capable guy. Uh, he was like not that long ago, I saw him on the mats hazing Adam out. <laughs> not, not that long ago. <laughs> so even though this guy is like pretty much retired, he will still get on the mats and kind of and bang, so to Beat speak. people down. Yeah, he's a tough guy. So I... I, I I guess it's evident for folks who are listening at this stage of the conversation that there's a very uh, special quality to jiu-jitsu training. Sure. That's evident in our energy about it and, you know, just the, the like there's a, there's a fire and a passion, right, that comes through. And for a lot of folks listening, they, they might have seen a little bit of it. We obviously, they train at Jungle Brothers and they, they may not be part of the jiu-jitsu program, but they'd see it playing out. You know, people, you know, kind of aware of, of what it is. Can you guys talk to a little bit what that that sort of that thing that that bug that people get bitten by that addiction aspect of it? You're, yeah, I mean, for for me, the thing that I find so addictive about jujitsu is well, first, like the the thing that really sort of for a lot of people that shocks them into it is for people who are willing to you know, swallow a bit of pride, swallow pride's not even the right word, but you know, when you first get exposed to jujitsu, you know, you, you realize that you could be the hundred kilo bodybuilder beast and some little 60 kilo dude or girl can just demolish you, you know? So the power of it uh, is quite awe inspiring from the beginning, but then, you know, beyond that, what I find so addictive about it is for me, it's, you know, it's kind of like, I kind of really see it as playing a, playing a video game, you know, it's in Brazil, it's often referred to as a physical game of chess and I'm not very good at chess. I'm not smart enough for chess. So I'll go with video games, but you know, it's kind of like, you know, for me, I, I, I grew up playing video games with siblings and friends. And when I roll with, you know, a, a training partner, it's kind of like, let's say I'm rolling with one of you guys and you get, and you get the better of me, you submit me or whatever. It kind of feels no different to if I lost to you in a game of Mario Kart, like where I kind of like, I'm like, motherfucker, no, let's That's go again. Bullshit. You know, like, you know, and I find that like, that addiction of, of constantly being able to, to compete against your training partners r really addictive. I mean, that's only one of the points, right? Um, you know, the, the fact I think as well, people who really get addicted to it are the sorts of people who enjoy, you know, essentially never completing something, if that makes sense, because you never stop learning you know, it's not, it's not like a lot of other martial arts where once you do X, Y, Z, bam, you got your black belt and there's kind of nothing else more to learn. Cause it's just this set of, you know, this set sequence of moves. That's not the case for jujitsu. And it's really, you know, I really now as a black belt, enjoy a lot of the, 
the troubleshooting side of it and figuring things out on my own. And I actually feel, I actually probably made my biggest improvements in jujitsu when I left Brazil and when I didn't have a coach anymore, um, because of that, you're then forced to figure stuff out. And I remember I was talking to Fabio about it and he said, he goes, Oh, it's funny you say that. Cause the same thing happened to Lepre, Marcelo, Cobrinha. He's like, they got so much better when they left. I'm not telling all my students to leave. I need you, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like, you know, another analogy, if you were an engineer and you're working on a project and you always have, you know, the lead engineer that you can turn to, to fix any problem or ask them whatever question, you know, it's maybe doesn't push you as hard as when you're all of a sudden the lead engineer on a project and the buck stops with you and you got to figure this shit out, you know? Um, but yeah, that whole, like the troubleshooting and the theory side of jujitsu. I mean, I'm not a mega geek, but, but I, you know, I find that really addictive. Well, I'm glad you used the engineer analogy because that really painted a clearer picture for me. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, boosh, number two. <laughs> Joey, Joey, Joey laughs, but I mean, hey, you you agreed with how much better you've gotten since learning from me and, and I, I taught just, you all in analogy. True, baby. yeah, that's right. But I would say <laughs> it's not the analogy. <laughs> so I'm going to say it's the, it's the rolling yeah. and the continual <laughs> technique progression. Layer it as you will, Adam. Frame it as you will. I, look, to be honest, I, I've spoken to so many different people and I, I think it is definitely the mix of the, the chemical release that you get from jiu-jitsu, which is that, is that, you know, all the endorphins, all the adrenaline, all of that, which is just a crazy cocktail that you don't get from a lot of other things because it's so intense. Having someone trying to strangle you or you trying to strangle another person and the, the fight therein is pretty intense, but then also that real-time problem-solving. When someone's trying to get you with something and then you're like, right. And then you do a counter and then they counter your counter. And it's, it's that back and forth, which is real-time problem solving. And there's nothing more satisfying than when you do something that works. Like you'd be okay. trying for ages, This I've got to get this to work. And then you hit it. And you're like, ah, it works. But then that, yeah, next, that, that next thing which keeps you coming back is when it doesn't work and you're like, it's good got to make this work I, I know this works come on and then it, and then and then the um the cycle continues of that progression and 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 i guess the thing about jiu-jitsu like you were saying adam is it's quite infinite because it's not just this many punches this many kicks it's like you could have a whole game structured that works really well for so many people and then someone comes in and they're your freaking kryptonite and they just have the exact counter to your game you're like oh, but how do I beat this person? And then you've got to change it all up completely. And then that just keeps you coming back and trying to learn more. I find it quite, uh, you know, every now and again, I'm kind of at a loss for words that that it's still evolving. For people who, who follow modern jiu-jitsu and for anyone listening who follows the competitive jiu-jitsu scene, like I, I still find it mind-boggling that, new techniques are still being invented. You know, you would think how, how many options or co how many possibilities are there for, for two bodies or for, for eight different limbs, man. And still, still new stuff is being invented, you know, and not even just like new, like combinations, but completely new submissions that you've never seen before. Like the buggy choke is a new one, right? That like 
perhaps it was done ages ago, but at least in years. terms of in the main. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. I've been hitting it for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the budgie. Joke. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I don't you find it like as as you guys as a as a brown and black belts like it's bizarre that people are still inventing stuff like it's crazy how dynamic the sport is and it really does feel infinite sometimes yeah i feel like the when we when you think of it and you're like how is it like how you kind of think that with the body there's only certain amount of like positions you can put your legs and your arms in to create you know whatever movements or in jiu-jitsu but the, I guess the thing about the constantly evolving and growing base of techniques is that because there's always new techniques, you're always getting new responses from your opponent, yes. which creates new opportunities, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's like you know if you if and it's almost like it, it's almost like you've seen it in the UFC too that it it goes to a place and then all of a sudden someone innovates by going back to something that was going on like 20 years ago, like, like calf kicks in the UFC. Sure. And it's like, man, these are devastating. Yes. And then everyone evolves to not get calf kicked. Yeah. And then it goes, and then grappling becomes, you know, jujitsu yes. becomes the secret power again. Sure. It's almost like it creates trends, doesn't it? Yeah. It does for sure. Kind of like, yeah, fashion trends in a sense, you know, things will go in and out of fashion in jujitsu, you know, like, and, and then, kind of whatever's in fashion then yeah like you said forces different responses and so yeah it's 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 infinite but to some degree it's also infinite because it's a loop if that makes sense yeah do do you need an analogy to so you can get it (laughs) well you gave us the fashion one but that didn't really quite satisfy me i would like another one if you (laughs) no it's okay adam you can stop talking now that's fine but I think something else, um, you guys knock my analogies, but you love them. I know you. <laughs> I'll just keep, I'll just keep saying it. i keep saying it. Um, another thing that JT said that I, that reminded me of something that I really find addictive about it as well is I'm a very, you know, I can sometimes be super personally be super black and white with things and I'm very evidence-based. So for example, like I'm personally not religious cause I'm just very like, well, there's zero evidence. Like I need evidence, you know, I need to, I need something, you know, in a sense, something tangible, right? I kind yeah. of need to see it with my own eyes sort of thing. And yeah. And jujitsu is exactly that, you know, it's like, well, well that doesn't work or, you know, or oh, this works like, okay, prove it, you know, and it's, it's right there. Like you could, it's, Every things that are done, the techniques that are done are tried and proven, you know, opposed to a, I'm not, I don't even it's have not to compare. theoretical at all. Pressure. Yeah. So if you've got a, if you've got a good guard, okay, you've got a good guard. Well, that guy's good at passing. Uh, show us your good guard. It's, yeah, pretty, it's right? pretty obvious, right? It's not something, there's no mysticism because yeah. also you, you will also know when you roll with somebody and, and this is something that you guys, if you've never done jujitsu, uh, guys, it's it's like a it's a physical conversation, and you can understand a lot about a person based on how aggressive they are, how strong they are, how well they move, as to how good they are at this thing. Because someone who's awesome at jujitsu will totally handle you with minimal effort. <laughs> like you just, yeah. you know, even when you're very experienced, um, if somebody's a lot better than you, they can kind of dispatch you, kind of manipulate you, and choke you unconscious. Like without trying, 
And you go, yeah. how is that possible? Like it, it is, it can boggle your mind to see someone who's on that kind of light years ahead level. But that's the great thing, right? You can, you can be anywhere on this plane from a beginner through to super advanced and you can still find that level of froth and passion. And I guess the problem for us now, guys, is we can't do this thing we love, right? Zero froth happening now. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to add one one thing that, and I completely agree. Um, the, the one of the things that always stands out for me that I think is central to people's enjoyment of jujitsu is the physical touch sure. aspect, which is like you know, for anyone that likes touch you know whether it's you play contact sports sure. or you like wrestling with your siblings like you know yeah. when you're a kid um or you know or you're like just an affectionate person someone's a right? hugger someone's a hugger right yeah sure. big huggers this is what jiu-jitsu brings to your life and i think these days people don't get a lot of that there's not no. a lot of touch right you can spend the whole day in the office it's obviously not really a touchy environment um, and potentially, I mean, people might not even be getting touch outside of work, yeah. but you can come to this place and it's not like it's advertised as, as you know, touching. <laughs> the it's hugging like, club. Yeah, but <laughs> I think that's one of the things that makes it so enjoyable and sure. really hits people on a very deep and, and primal level. And I think that also then, you know, you could segue off that to say that that's also one of the reasons why you can, you can build such deep and connected and, and meaningful friendships in, in jujitsu, because I mean, for lack of a better, for lack of a better word, you spend a lot of like intimate time with your training partners. Like it is very close. And I mean, for people who haven't trained, don't, I'm not, I don't mean intimate is in sexual. It's not because it's literally like, the absolute last thing you think about when you're training, like you, you don't think about anything. Like it doesn't, it's, it's weird, right? Like when you're rolling and I mean, if I right now was, if we were all face to face and I essentially like put my hands in the drawstring of your pair of shorts. So my fingers were going down your butt crack. That'd be super weird. <laughs> but when we're Why rolling, your sweat's dripping in my mouth. <laughs> but when you're rolling and you're trying to do a bolo or something and you're grabbing a drawstring, like, you know, you guys would know yeah. it's like it's the last the thing you think it's about, right? It's what it is. Yeah. It's not a sexual thing at all, no, but not at all. It, it is very intimate in the terms that it's such close, Proximity. continuous physical, physical con contact that, okay, you don't have to be best friends with all your training partners, but you definitely build very tight knit bonds with, with the people you train with. It's something special about it. I mean, people could, um, people could identify if anyone watched wrestling during the Olympics. Sure. And you look at freestyle wrestling and they, they often have to start in that position where the, the guy goes, you know, or the, the, the competitor goes face down yep. and the, the other competitor climbs on the back of them. Yep. And it's yep. like, for someone who doesn't understand that kind of sport, it's like, oh, oh my God, what the fuck are they doing? doing. Like, look <laughs> yeah. at that outfit and, you yeah. know, and that's right. Like in a, in, within the context of the sport, that's, that's the game, man. Yep. You take it out and you put it into the rigid kind of, you know, PC of kind of, world. yeah, of our society. And it's like, oh, that's a bit indecent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. But I think that's what you, as when you learn that somebody does jujitsu automatically, it's not fight club, but you know, they're in on it, right? Yeah. That, you know, that if you were to tackle them to the ground, they wouldn't get upset. 
Yeah, they'd yeah. probably try and strangle you. Yeah, and you're like, oh, you can. You yeah, almost right. have like a. I remember when you when you meet someone that does jujitsu, it's like you can go straight in for the bro hug. For the, yeah, yeah. You know, like a little pat on the chest, or yeah. like yeah, yeah, you know, like you could you could kind of hug them playfully in a social setting, and they would receive that as a as a funny joke. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's a jujitsu joke. Well, yeah, yeah. Whereas you do you go hug a, someone else you just met at a party, they're like, "What the fuck? Are you Get doing off me, man! <laughs> you creep." <laughs> When, when I first moved back from Brazil was obviously pre-COVID time. So there was none of that, you know, in, in, in public, whether you, there was no social distancing or anything. And Brazilians are super affectionate. They're a very affectionate group of people. Uh, you know, we would see regularly in the gym, uh, you know, different guys, you know, the, the, the higher belts who were, really good friends they would like hug and and kiss each other on the cheek hello right it was it was not uncommon to see so it was to think that guys would do that amongst each other it's really common in brazil that when you say hello and goodbye to to girls uh, as a guy you would hug them and give them the kiss on the cheek or in some parts of brazil you would give one on each cheek right so really normal and i remember when i moved back from Brazil and I was catching up with all my, my Australian friends who I hadn't seen in, you know, five years or whatever. And all the, well, I was hugging everyone, everyone. Hello. But I would go to hug and kiss the girls on the cheek. Cause I had just spent five years in Brazil and it was never reciprocated. Like, cause it's not super Australian <laughs> to give the kiss on the cheek. So I just looked like the dude trying to creep on all these chicks, kind of like hug and kiss all these chicks. And they just, the, the kiss on the cheek was never reciprocated. And I was like, oh, okay, I got this. It just doesn't fly in Australia. All right. That's interesting. It's such an awkward, awkward moment when like disparities in that. In culture. Yeah. Yeah, the, the proximity thing. Well, I guess speaking of proximity, right, we've, we've come to this point in time where proximity is a point of contention. Like social distancing. And it's funny how in such a short period of time, those people who were used to getting up close and personal with each other get a little bit awkward. Ah, oh, dude. Ah. Oh. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, we meant to. Are we we're breaking rules? Are we cool to shake hands? Even is this? I brought hand sanitizer. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. if we sanitize this, okay. We're just, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of it, it gets weird, and we can't do jujitsu right now. And seeing as it's been a big part of how we socially interact, our businesses, our lives. There's plenty of people listening to this who don't do jujitsu, but they could relate to this that they may feel dislocated from their community whether it's their family, um, their group of friends, their workmates, because everybody's working from bloody home. So the only time you get to see a face is through Zoom, as we are seeing you right now, Ads. Um, I I think one of the strongest things in jiu-jitsu that I have seen, and it was strongest in Brazil, because even when people were injured, they would come and watch training. So even if they couldn't train, they'd still come to the gym. You know, yeah, like they want you, those hugs and kisses. Well, clearly, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's one of those things. Like it's like if you hadn't been to the gym, it's like you have to have been really sick. Like why why didn't you just come to training? You don't have to train. You just got to show up and. But, but, yeah, that was hang also out. Fabio's culture, man. Like when I'm sick, I don't train because I don't want other people to get sick. But with the competition team, Fabio was like, nah, like, why aren't you training? Oh, I don't want to get other people sick. And he wouldn't care. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you man. have to train, bro. <laughs> <laughs> if he does, he does. <laughs> but I think that was also, I don't know about you, JT, but I felt like in Brazil, if I turned up when I was injured, 
I mean, maybe it was to get hugs, but I don't know. Not many people liked me there. You know, so <laughs> it was, it was, man, at any given class, Fabio could drop the most valuable nugget Holy of jujitsu gold. It was like watching Lola, my dog, follow Atlas around when he's got food in his hand. Like, <laughs> just ready at any moment, bro. You know? <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it definitely has been hard. Like, I mean, business-wise, super hard, you know, for anyone who is a, is a gym owner um, or even maybe not a gym owner, but just your income comes from working in a gym. It's been super hard. This, this second lockdown in Sydney has been significantly more difficult than the first one. Um, and you know, I, I fit, my heart goes out even more now than it previously did to the, the gym owners in Melbourne who copped it hard that first time around. Like, you know, I did not envy them at all. And, and now I'm even more aware of how hard it is, but yeah, business side, putting that aside, just not having not being able to do what you're addicted to doing. If you're someone like us three, you know, who are rather addicted to jujitsu, it's like anything you like doing being taken away. You know, if you're someone who, you know, religiously reads a couple of chapters of a book every night before bed or something like that. And then all of a sudden in some hypothetical situation, you're not allowed to read anymore. Like, man, like it's, it's something that is a fundamental part of your life that's been taken away. And then you add into all, add on top of that, all the things that jujitsu gives you uh, because it's physical and a sport, like you're not getting exercise. So you're not getting endorphins. You're, you know, it's probably throwing your diet out of whack and just your mood levels and all the, the biological side of things that go along with it as well. It's really hard having it taken away. Um, do either of you guys notice anything? Because um, there's a couple of aspects of that I'd like to dig into. But do you notice anything um, on like the sort of mental health side of it or like mindset sort of thing by not having – because it is a real outlet, right? You know, it's the thing that you love. It's like reading a book at night if that's your thing. But it's also this extremely intense physical outlet, which, you know, as we know – it, it, it's it's very beneficial for our well-being to be able to have somewhere where you can just go and blow off a bunch of steam, sweat a bunch, open up your lungs, whatever. Um, you guys notice anything by not having that? Yeah, I think definitely. Uh, definitely. I mean, probably me more so than either of you two because I feel like I need to strangle somebody every other five minutes. <laughs> that's, that, that's when we're not in lockdown. I mean, I'm like, I think I could be friends with that person. JT's like, I'm gonna choke that motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> pencil neck, yeah. giraffe neck, having mother up. <laughs> no, it's it's challenging for me. I think I have like just a a, a scary more testosterone than the average person. I'm just a little bit more aggressive, confrontational, insecure, whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> but you know, I I in terms of understanding myself. Uh, I've always kind of combated that with hard training and, and then jujitsu became like a magic, magical elixir in that way. And, and knowing this about myself, I try to schedule in other things to take its place, but nothing, you know, even heavy weight training as beneficial as it is and as good as it feels, it, it doesn't have the same uh, combination of elements that gives you the peace you have after having really hard roles. Now, I'm sure you both you guys can speak to this and anyone who's listening to this, even if you have never done jiu-jitsu, maybe you're a runner or you're a swimmer or, or you, you, you're someone who's active 
and you exert yourself so fully that at the end of it, you're spent, but the world is better. You come to the end of it, you're, you're sweaty, you're out of breath, you, you, you can barely move, but you're happy. The, the world literally, all the worries have peeled off and you're like, oh, I can actually, I'm calmer, I'm more present, I'm not worried. You've hit that kind of flow state and that, that's really, nothing really does that for me like jiu-jitsu and considering the overwhelm that comes with all the different stuff with our you know modern situation um i think the fact that you know whoever you are out there listening to this trying to have some kind of natural way to be able to clear out the noise from your head is really important and not having that yeah it's a it's definitely affecting me yeah i think for for me i'm i'm quite fortunate that i don't want to commit multiple counts of murder on a daily basis <laughs> but um <laughs> no, but uh yeah definitely like i mean i think the mental health side of it has been a big discussion this this second lockdown just in general for me it's i'm finding it it's not so much the that jujitsu has been taken away from me that's affecting my mental health because although jujitsu is in my opinion, one of the best tools for mental health, it's not the predominant use of jujitsu for me personally. Um, but yeah, this, this second lockdown, I definitely feel more of a strain mentally, but I think that's just more to do with the business side of things. And, you know, this lockdown came right at the end of the financial year and just, you know, super hard in that regard. But I I 100% agree with what JT said. Like, I think you put it perfectly, you know, you need something, a way to, to clear your head because of course exercise is a great tool for that because of the, the biological uh, things that take place when you exercise. But, you know, I, I personally, this isn't for everyone, but I play heaps of video games with friends of mine online, like real life friends of mine who were some of my, my, you know, my best friends, like one in particular who, who flew all the way over from Australia over to Brazil for my wedding. Like these are, you know, real life best friends that I, that I play video games with online. So when I do that, that's a way that I'm clearing my head, but I'm also talking to really good friends of mine. And I actually did that all through my time in Brazil as well. Like I had these same two friends that are still my best friends to, to this day that I would, you know, I was so disconnected over there in Brazil. And even though I was training, I had really hard times. Like I had three surgeries while I was in Brazil. I had plenty of hard times where I wanted to quit, but you know, being able to to have that way that I could kind of switch off, I guess, if you will, you know, um, really helped a lot because I think you need that on top of more well-known support systems. So, for example, I've got an overwhelming amount of support from my wife and, you know, I've got uh, a beautiful little two-year-old and I've got a dog. Like, so I've got these other more sort of traditional support systems. But I think as well, this, this lockdown, if you took away for me personally, video games, which is my way that I socially interact still while, while you can't go outside, 
then I would feel like a lot of other people do people who don't, who haven't got some sort of other way to, to take all that gunk out of your head. And I have students like that. I've got two students, right. That uh, one who is super new to jujitsu and loving it, but going through a really hard divorce and he works in the financial. So I think he's works quite high up at a bank or something. Um, and so super stressful job going through a divorce. And when the lockdown started happening, he was just messaging me saying even pre lockdown, he would be going crazy. And he would often send me messages with outpouring how grateful he was that I was allowing him to train because it's been such a, big thing in improvement to his life. Um, and then I've got another guy who trains religiously every day and he often walks in and he just says like, he goes, oh, man, F this, I don't want to be here today. I hate this place. And he kind of says it in a joking way, but also not like he knows he needs it because he's someone, he's a particular student that just where he grew up and a lot of his friends like uh, literally have been in and out of prison their whole life. Like, you know, so his life could have taken a very different path. Right. And, and, and he's during this lockdown messaged me saying like, man, like, I don't know, without jujitsu, this is, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it's hard, really hard for, for a lot of people. Like it can, it's for some people potentially make or break, right. That this, this outlet has been taken away from them. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think, Folks probably, a lot of folks probably don't know what it is that in their life that is that thing until they don't have access to it. So, you know, you might take certain things for granted and then it's taken, you know, even simple things, right? Like being able to, um, to have contact, like, like with your family or whatever, really simple things or with your neighbor, you know, go around and have a drink or whatever, go for dinner somewhere. Um, and it's taken away and you're like, holy shit, like that, fuck, I really liked being able to do that thing, you know? I, it's interesting hearing, um, you know, the hearing what you guys, like your, your feelings around that. I, what I take from yours ads is that jujitsu is not in, not entirely, but it's largely a very, um, like intellectual thing for you. You know, like it's, it's, it's quite, yeah, it's it's like, it's very, it's like the puzzle, like you, like you described, it's kind of like the chess game and correct me if I'm wrong, but you get, you get a bit of that in the video game world as well. You do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Chess can be played online, right? You could argue that chess can be a a virtual video game as well. So yeah, there's the mental side of it. There's, I know people, there'll be people listening, dumping stuff on, on video games. I mean, that's a different debate, but you know, that you can, Come you can play, play me on Warcraft. Incredibly strategic. <laughs> yeah. You can play games that are incredibly strategic and, you know, a, a lot of video game technology trickles down from, from the military, right? Like, you know, there's, there's real life applications to doing stuff in the, the virtual world, if you will. And, um, and yeah, I guess you, you, yeah, you, you do get a bit of that. And when you add in that I'm, you know, on, discord or on zoom or whatever like an online platform with my real life friends i'm getting that social interaction as well um of course the lack of physical interaction but yeah i'm someone who even if i weren't allowed to leave my apartment i got my wife my son and my dog so you know but my my brother for example is in melbourne and he lives by himself Mm. you know um and i think You've, you've got more contacts in Melbourne than us, JT, having lived there for so long. And I'm a little out of the loop in terms of COVID updates because I try to stay 
you know, less depressed. Are they still in <laughs> lockdown at the moment? It's it's on and off again. They just got hit with a quite a hard lockdown. Um, so, look, whatever you might say, I, I, I think if we kind of just flash back to last year a little bit, I feel like probably the New South Wales government uh, managed everything last year better. And, and the Victorian response, there was uh, some clear cases of mismanagement which led to problems. And then that meant they had to dial up really hard, right? And this is just my take on it. This is just my experience of it. Um, so, you know, human, there's always room for human error, but at the end of the day, the, the difficult thing, and the difficult thing for anyone is, you know, I'm not going to do an Adam analogy here, but I'm no, saying you I, almost did. I, I did. I, I you sensed it, didn't I? But it's 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 like many things. When you tell yourself, "I'm almost there," I'm almost there. You know, humans. You give yourself this little bit of hope, whether it's a workout, whether it's anything. You're tired. You're rolling me. You know, I'm fitter than you. You know, you haven't swept me <laughs> yeah. yet. I see you check the clock. We know there's a minute left. You think you've got a scramble left in you? I know you don't. You know. <laughs> These elements combine to know that I am COVID-19 and Adam, your guard is the poor people of Sydney <laughs> and I'm going to smash you. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're taking everything you learned from smashing Victoria's guard. Now you're coming from <laughs> Mate, it's, it's, well, bru it's brutal because I think that if you are alone out there and there's many people, they may not be listening to this, but if you do stumble onto this and, and you are by yourself, there's this real mental battle between telling yourself, I can get through this, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, up until a point where you're like, I, I don't know how I can sustain this because all the things that I usually have to reinforce my energy and my coping mechanisms and the people I rely on, they're not here now. And I, how much longer can I do this for? And that is, I think, the most confronting thing where the, wherever you live in the world is the idea that, oh, I just want things to get back to normal. When will this be over? And well, it's, did, that's really hard to deal with mentally. Yeah, that whole, you know, just a little bit more. You reminded me, um, have you guys, I don't know the name of the experiment. I think it's called the Kurt Richer rat experiment. Have you guys heard of that? Continue, please. So um, it's quite a, I mean, well, I guess like a lot of science experiments that are conducted on rats, you know. Pretty it's mean. A whole, Is it the it's a whole ethical debate, right? Were they gave um, them cocaine? No, no. So what he did is he put these rats in, in like a glass uh, of water, like a glass so they couldn't climb out to see how long they could tread water for, right? And on average, they'd give up and sink and essentially die after 15 minutes. But then he ran a second experiment where right before they would give up, you know, so based on average, let's say like the 14-minute mark, he would take them out, dry them off and everything, and then throw them back in. And on the second try, they would last an average of 60 hours treading water. So, so, it, so the conclusion was drawn that, like, that when they believed that there was a chance they could be rescued, you know, they could, you know, they could go for Carry so on. much longer. Wow. Wow. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Well, I, I, just speaking of Melbourne, having been there on lockdown, it made me consider what is life like without jiu-jitsu 
and I had to come up with an alternative in my mind because I couldn't teach because I was teaching. And that when you started your OnlyFans? (laughs) (laughs) I made no money. It was not successful. (laughs) Nobody's interested in thick, hairy boys, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Get you nowhere. Um, But that's the thing. Like, it it did make me really consider, like, what am I going to do if I can't do this thing? And I did come up with some alternatives, even though they weren't as satisfying or satisfactory. But now, having been through that, and being here in Sydney, I feel like my partner and I, we have little routines that help us like just just to just to break up certain levels of monotony or you run out of things to do, that, that kind of thing. I, I think if you haven't experienced it before, it's really hard. But for both her and I, we're like, ah, the lockdown times. This is yeah. a we kind of developed a gear to to try to make it feel normal and to put structures in place that we're like, oh, it's Friday. Oh, why don't we just have a little drink and and do something which is is like you would do on a Friday because it's, a lot of people are saying to me that days blur together, mm. and they they kind of do right because there's no yeah. there's no going to work, staying at home, then the not going to work, and on, on you know Mondays and Wednesdays that's when I do my jujitsu or Tuesdays and Thursdays that's when I go to the gym. Yeah. Don't get dressed you, up anymore. Yeah, there's no you know even just making those little bits of effort. Uh, one woman was talking about how she dressed up like she was going to work and she put on her makeup. And she actually felt better. But it was only for Zoom. But it was just doing those things which are routine, which give us this sense of control amidst uh, all the unknowns. Was it, um, was it you, JT, who was saying, hey, oh, I don't know if I can't remember if I heard it from you, but someone, it sounds like something you would say about like the, it was something to do with just like the importance of making your bed every day. Yeah, is that you? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, no, there's a very famous speech uh, by an admiral, an admiral, an admirable admiral, and he just <laughs> talks about how you're setting the tone for the day and how making your bed is really important. It's quite a famous speech. If you just, if you actually go to YouTube and put like making your bed speech, uh, is actually quite a, a famous admiral, and 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 really it's. It's about you making a little bit of effort which puts you on the right path to making good decisions. Really. Yeah, and it's, it seems so small. And actually, I have a funny story related to this. A Brazilian guy I knew, um, you never met him. It doesn't matter. Very out of condition, out of shape, very wealthy, had servants his whole life, whatever. And I met him at a party and he was kind of drunk. He's going... He's going, oh, you're at the gym all the time, man. Yeah, I really respect that, man. I just could never do it, you know, like it's so hard. I'm like, yeah, cool. Uh, great story. Cool, cool story, Hansel. And he's like, but you know what, man? I made a vow, man. I made a vow that I was going to make my own bed, man. And I was like, this guy's 30 years old. I'm like, you, do, you don't make your own bed? And I was just like, okay. And he's like, no, man, you know, I set this goal for myself. I'm like, I'm going to change my life, man. And you know what? I did it, man. I made my own bed. I must have done it like at least like f- five or six times, man. I feel so much better about myself. And I was like, cool, bro. <laughs> Good for you. And then he's like, yeah, but I stopped doing that shit. You know, I just pay someone to do it for me now. <laughs> I was like, That's so funny. Yeah, I was like, wow. Just- inspired a generation, that guy. <laughs> you can but find that I mean, speech that on YouTube. It's reality, yeah. isn't it? But, but, but we definitely do, as unstructured as uh, this conversation has been, uh, <laughs> as unstructured as things get, 
it, it is difficult because control is is kind of an illusion. But we're, we're pretty fortunate that in Australia, things are way more under control than it appears. And I'm not saying this through any kind of conspiracy theory. Here's an example, and this is a joke between Ola and myself because she's Polish. Australia recently acquired a million doses of Pfizer from Poland. From Poland. Amazing. Yeah. Do you know what happened in Poland? 30 million doses of Pfizer went out, expired. No. Because they didn't use it. So it's not like 100% of Poland is vaccinated and they <laughs> no, expire. No, it, it, as, as in like it, there's 50% of Poland who, who probably never get vaccinated. Well, I guess what we have to appreciate about our country is that we, we do have a relatively small population and whatever you say about the current situation, we've got good circumstances. And yeah. we, if, if we can find a way to get through, we will be better on the other it's, side of it. It's so funny because there was um, – you know, Joey and JT know that I'm a, I don't know, definitely not a Joe Rogan fan. And, uh, but you said but, you like science. Yeah. <laughs> Where else do you do your research? <laughs> but someone, someone sent like a, a, a clip of one of his podcasts recently where he's talking about how we had the, the military enforcing the lockdown here and he's stuff like that. And Helicopters flying over the streets and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and in the clip, clip he's like, "There's like it's just crazy. They've only they've only had like they've only had nine deaths like since whatever date." He's like, "It's, it's just crazy that the military's doing this," and you know, and I'm sitting there, probably like a lot of other Australians, thinking, "Yeah, because any more than zero deaths is like unacceptable," you know, like, and and you're coming from a country where you think the military you know here when the military's deployed it's like oh cool extra police you know but in the u.s when the military's deployed it's like fuck people are going to shoot me through my front door bro <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's a different world that's right you know, they, they're going to take away our freedoms or some shit yeah, yeah. like yeah. it is it is bad here but you know we also do live in a country that obviously like you know, look, I'm, I'm, I don't really want to be all like political because I'm not political, but it seems that there's countries that don't care that much about human life. And I get that these are also countries that are high, you know, have a higher population, but I feel that Australia is a country that really like, you know, doesn't want, it doesn't want any deaths, you know? So oh. for us, nine deaths is a lot, you know, sure. like, oh man, this newest outbreak, there's been nine or I think now 10 or maybe even more, 10 or 12 deaths in New South sure. Wales. You know, for us, like that's a lot, that's a big deal. But this, you know. I, I, saw, a, I saw a quote that kind of hit the nail on the head the other day and it was, you know, and this is not, obviously we recognise all of the, the hard times people are going through in businesses and whatnot, but it was something around the line, it was something along the lines of, um, for someone that's lived a life of privilege, the smallest restriction feels like oppression. Yes. And it's like, yeah, like yeah. none of us have ever experienced oppression. Like you no. look at fucking Afghanistan right now. Goodness Like gracious. they've got COVID laid in on top of that shit. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like, and, and these, we, these things are just out of our wheelhouse. And so it's like, yeah. hey guys, can't leave the house, but you can still go get your favorite foods and your favorite coffees yeah. and you can buy shit online. And, yeah, you know, yeah. like you can go to the park and the sun's out. Yeah. No one's more, trying to more, shoot you or fucking stop with you going to school. Though, more importantly, do you think that dude's still getting someone to make his bed? 
<laughs> I, I, I hope so so we can focus his life on more productive things that's right <laughs> like getting drunk and talking to, talking to me at a party no i think i think it's one of those things that we um no we we are fortunate and it was actually someone had said this i can't remember exactly it, it's been misattributed but like a, a problem is a problem it doesn't matter where you are like a, a first world problem is still a problem but mm. the the tools and the resources you have to deal with that problem really dictates how you go you know when you've had someone who's had adversity their whole life they've developed a whole toolkit of dealing with whatever those problems are when you haven't had many problems and then you get hit with one it seems possibly worse than it is and it's not to say the current situation isn't isn't negative in any way but uh man i you know the fact that we're sitting here and having this conversation is is pretty awesome i'm i i feel very fortunate that we can even have this discussion via technology because I was actually saying to my partner, what if there was no internet? Yeah, I've had that <laughs> like, thought too. What yeah. would we be doing? You know, there's only so many puzzles you can do. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, but is there still what? Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> like what, what happens when there's no internet? Like, you know, think about all our food services, all our online shopping. Like you can live from your home through your laptop now. If yeah. this had happened in 1994, 1995, it, I, I feel like it, it could be far worse than it is. Yeah, well, last lockdown, Hanada and I, my wife, did a jigsaw puzzle and I quickly came to the conclusion that I did not care for them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? You love puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Yeah, um, so I think that's a good point to wrap it on there. Um, Ads, did you, uh, you tell us what's going on with your gym at the moment and tell us, like I know you got some stuff going on. You, you still got your members. You're looking after them as best you can. Where can people yeah. get in touch with it and your, your channels and podcasts and whatnot? So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, uh, you know, not to, to do the cliche silver lining, but I think like most people, especially, you know, guys like you who I know and I look up to and are inspired by as incredibly productive people, you know, used this lockdown as a chance to work on some projects that, you know, could have happened otherwise, but wouldn't have been able to, to devote so much time. So as well as staying connected with my members and running Zoom classes, um, which sure is obviously not the same thing as an actual jujitsu class, but you know, again, you're getting a exercise and some social interaction. So running zoom classes, uh, filming online techniques for them, working on, uh, something for the gym that will be definitely a defining, uh, service or product that the gym will offer once we open again. Mm. Um, so that's about all I can say about that. And then probably the, the bigger project that, that I've been working on is myself and, and Kieran Lefebvre, who Kieran's been on the Jungle Brothers podcast before, correct? Yeah, he has. Good home. So Kieran, Kieran's one of my students and nutritionist, videographer and everything. We've started our own podcast called Beyond Jiu-Jitsu, uh, which <laughs> have no doubt in it, guys, your names are at the top of the list of people who will have to come on the podcast. Uh, we don't yet have the infrastructure for remote podcasts, I don't believe, but... Um, but yeah, once, once lockdown's over and all that. So, but if anyone wants more information about myself and, or, or what I do, my Instagram is Alliance Sydney BJJ 
Our podcast Instagram is beyondjujitsu underscore podcast. If you want to see a ridiculous picture of myself and Kieran riding a rocket, that's where you will find it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great image. Excellent. And the little gif where it like rattles and then takes off. Yeah. Yeah, We're actually really happy with that artwork. We actually got it through Fiverr. I was, I didn't really know what Fiverr was and we had our music done through it and the, the artwork done through it. It's actually a great, I mean, yeah. Imagine pre-internet if there was no internet, right? Like, yeah. uh, with, with the power of the internet, the guy who did the artwork is in Mexico. Right, that's awesome. So good. Yeah, so I think that's all that's about going on with me, as well as you know, uh, more family time. I guess that was the same as last lockdown. I did really appreciate that I got to spend way more time with with Atlas, my son, growing up than I would do not in a lockdown situation. And you'd be having the same with Leo. Like you get to do way more dad time than not that you wouldn't do a lot of dad time, you know, because you're you're a good person (laughs) (laughs) good save ads (laughs) but you know what i mean there's times where i'm not hanging out at alliance every night training jits yeah you know times you'd typically be at work or training or something where now you can be at home and get to see your son grow so um but yeah i mean that's that's what's going on with me that's cool jt what do you got going on where can people find you at uh mate i mean look people can uh find me at JT underscore tenacity on Instagram. Uh, mate, the exciting thing that's coming now is the Jugo book. So that's the next thing. Um, so if people want to check out the jujitsu card game, it's at Jugo Play. But uh, I've just handed off the manuscript. Um, it's just getting finalized. And in about eight weeks, people will be able to get on pre sale the. Uh, the Jiu-Jitsu Superhero book. Jugo. Holy yeah, shit, I'll, that's cool. I'll, I'll give that a little plug. I've JT knows this, but um, he gave a, a copy of it to one of my students who has three kids who also train Jiu-Jitsu as well. And um, yeah, just to, and I didn't know this. And just in passing, this this student spoke to me, and he was like, "Man, he's like, he's like." He's like, I read quite a lot. I can recognize good writing and stuff. He's like, man, I'm enjoying it. And the kids are loving it. He like, you know, he has to read it to the younger kids at bed every night. And then the older daughter is old enough to read it on her own. And um, yeah, I remember I called JT and I was like, dude, you know, this student, he was like, man, he said him and the kids are loving it. So jump on that bad boy when it's out. Pleasant surprise. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) it hasn't all been criticism. So yeah, that's that's, all. That's that's a mad little testimonial, bro. Yeah, lovely. Right. What about you, Joey? Obviously it's your podcast, but what's going on with you, man? I plug my shit all the time. Um, (laughs) Don't, don't, Adam. Get, don't yeah. open Pandora's box. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, look, I, you know, we're 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 doing the thing with the with the podcast. It's uh, it's it's obviously it was the Jungle Brothers podcast. It was T Paul and myself. Paul's got his hands full with running the gym. Um, T's up north now, so we're in a bit of a limbo where where I'm and I've always I've been heading the show for a long time, so I'm just kind of running with it. T's going to be back on with us soon. Um, awesome. We just got to teach him how to use the internet. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> Any day now. Um, but, you know, but we got that going on. JT got, got our stuff going on with, with Bulletproof. And obviously the Paul T and myself are working towards our big goals with the Jungle Alliance. And that's getting T's gym open will be the first footstep outside of the four walls of this gym. That is, you know, the next chapter of, of the, whole, the, the whole Jungle Alliance. So we're really excited to get that going. They've just been locked down as well. So... Oh. 
he's had a bit of a handbrake put on, but you know, whatever, it's, it's going to happen. So, um, mate, good things, really good things. You know, I, uh, I didn't mention it. I obviously miss jujitsu a lot, but you know, I'm, I, I've been doing it for long enough now that I'm also okay with not doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like it's become, yeah, you're, you're past the, Oh, I just got started phase. Like, you know, you'll be back. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a long game for me for a long time now. Right. Mm. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're in your first like six or 12 months, you, it's all about right now. Yes. You know, yeah. this week kind of thing. Um, but thanks, man. It was, it was awesome to chat with you guys. It's uh, JT and I get to catch up quite a bit. But as, you know, we, we only ever get to chat on the phone. It's nice to see you ahead. It's good to... I, I can't say the same. Yeah, I, I, I was literally about to say JT and I kept it pretty civil. I was about to say that. I see that skinny neck of yours, boy. <laughs> um, mate, stay good. I know it was a bummer, actually, because, yeah, we didn't mention it, but I know we're wrapping up. But, yeah, right before the lockdown, you two were going to be helping me a lot to prepare for subversion. I was supposed to be fighting subversion, you know, and then they, which was supposed to be when September 18th or something. So it was supposed to be a month away. Then they pushed it to November, but then now that's obviously not happening. And so that's all off as far as you know, ah, all off. What a damn that's shame. all right. That's all right. It's another a story for another day, another time. And there'll be another comp. There'll always be another, but yeah, you know what? Right. I'm actually very glad I did the comp that I did. Yes. Because yeah. that was like the one comp that was yeah. on between, was it? Oh, no, there was others, but yeah. yeah there was a there was few, there was a few others, that. but the lockdown yeah. happened right before States and the States got cancelled. And I was thinking, and a part of me was like, oh no, maybe I'll do the States because that's whatever. Yeah. And fuck yeah, I'm just glad I did it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks, boys. Guys, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bit of chat, bit of jujitsu banter. If you know someone who would like to hear us talk or who would benefit from that episode, maybe struggling because they can't play their tennis or do their jiu-jitsu or do the rock climbing, whatever it is, please share this episode with them. Yes, indeed. Did I see you wanted to say something? Did you, you had that gesture like you're like... Uh, Not at all. <laughs> no, I think you, you, you're safe in saying what you said, Joey. All Always right. a pleasure to be on here. Thank you for having us. Boys. Yeah, thank you so much. Anytime. We'll do it again. Thanks, guys. Laters. <laughs>